0: good evening students it is so good so exciting to have you in lecture today it's definitely a privilege or honor it is a treat just want to remind everyone you are not alone this is an academic community remember to get help from university services if needed never give up never give up keep trying we're here to help you Be intelligent, successful, and responsible scientists. However, at the end of the day, you must be responsible, intelligent, and hardworking. I want to remind you, don't give up. It may be challenging. It may be hard. Find strategies. Find resources. Meet with people. Network. Do what you can. It's worth it. You are smart enough. You are good enough. You are worth the effort and the fight. Keep it up. So, um, today we're going to be going through a few advanced topics. I just want to give you a quick preview of some of the chemistry ideas. Uh, it's very valuable, uh, very useful, and I think it'll be uh, a good resource for you. Um, this book was written by myself and reviewed by one of my good colleagues and friends, Vincent Miranda. Um, so, it's dedicated to the tens of people who have helped and inspired me, specifically my parents, doctors. Ferguson and Ferguson are uh, my brother attorney Ferguson and my sister uh, it's definitely and his wife as well my brother's wife as well and those teachers in university and high school who helped make science accessible to me so let's just go over it organic chemistry is a subject that requires effort focus and skill these foundations have been selected after guided review and observations as to what concepts facilitate and support support a good understanding as the student progresses through this discipline in chemistry. These foundations, from the moiety to the metallics, highlight with conceptual focus key ideas, points, and memory aids to support your success in organic chemistry. Learning organic chemistry is similar to building a house. It takes time, skill, and persistent efforts. So let's begin. Of course, this will be an audio and a visual as well, depending on how you learn. The goal for this episode is to encourage those who are studying organic chemistry. I know from personal experience organic chemistry can be at points, especially organic chemistry one challenging because you're adjusting to a new paradigm per se and you are adjusting to a new set of content but the thing you have to remember is with strategy and persistence you can make it through it and do well and do your best. So some objectives that we want to remember. We want to learn the key definitions. We want to understand key ideas and the relevance of Lewis start structures, and we want to understand some simplified quantum mechanical concepts. Organic molecules can be defined as multiple atoms associated or bonded together, made primarily from carbon. In short, organic molecules are carbon based molecules. So, we have the structure of cyanocobalamin. This is the structure I did my undergraduate thesis on, also known as vitamin B12. These molecules may or may not have the same molecular formula. In cases where the molecular formula is the same but the structure is not the same, you have structural isomers. Some examples include acetone and dimethyl ether. Note uh, when the constitution or the connectivity is not the same, you have constitutional isomers. Where the arrangement in 3D space is not the same, you have stereo. Isomers. In some instances, constitutional is sometimes interchanged with structural isomers. Now, subclasses of stereoisomers. You have optical isomers, which are molecules that rotate light differently, and their mirror images are non-superposable, non-superposable, otherwise known as enantiomers, and they are designated by E, Z, R, S. Intergensus amen rectus or sinister. Geo- geometric isomers, which are molecules that have non identical mirror images, um, going to be a cis and trans. The an arrangement around the plane of the double bond is different. Organic molecules can be linear. Linear molecular shape is observed with hydrogen cyanide or acetylene, or maybe planar but, but trigonal, such as formaldehyde. Um, here, formaldehyde. The structure for formaldehyde is cut off. The um, other hydrogen. Also, the molecule can have a 3D arrangement such as methane, existing as a tetrahedral molecule. So it's important to remember that molecules are multiple atoms bonded together and compounds are a type of molecule in which you have multiple heteroatoms atoms bonded together. So the atoms are different in that case. So let's talk about the structure of 3D molecules. The structure of 3D molecules can be predicted using an application of correctly drawn Lewis dot structures, which is valence-shell electron pair repulsion theory, also known as VSEPR Ion theory. VSEPR, that's well one way to say it, involves valence bond theory, showing all valence electrons and including bonding and non-bonding electrons. In some cases referred to as lone pairs, and maximizing separation in 3D space so as to minimize repulsions connected to Coulomb's law. And the greater distance, in that greater distance minimizes potential energy. So greater distance between like charges minimizes potential energy, and the converse is true in that when you increase or decrease the distance between unlike charges, you also minimize potential energy. So VESPA is an alternative that can inform and start the journey in us understanding molecular geometry whether it be the linear alkynes, the trigonal planar arrangements of the carbon atoms in some alkenes, or the tetrahedral arrangement of carbon atoms around some carbon atoms and alkanes. Another alternative involves using quantum mechanics that uses wave functions that are mathematical descriptions of electron probability distributions to produce atomic orbitals. There are some limitations in this method as it pertains to accuracy, as with the previous method VESPA, considering the theoretical simplifications that I use, overall the goal is to gain a better understanding as to what occurs in nature. For example, example, with quantum mechanics we can step into hybridization theory and use mathematical mixing of wave functions to further our understanding of what is observed in nature. With the same goal, through ideas of like valence bond theory, we can predict the bond angles for methane, specifically the intramolecular HH bond angle in methane, hydrogen, hydrogen bond angle in methane. There are deviations, however, that are observed, and hybridization accounts for those deviations with explanations. Those explanations entail the ideas that linear arrangements of carbon atoms are sp-hybridized, One sp plus two p's trigonal plane arrangements have carbon atoms are sp2 hybridized one sp2 plus 1p and tetrahedral arrangements have carbon atoms are sp3 hybridized one sp3 plus about 0p zero, zero uh, other hybridizations occur less frequently in mainstream organic chemistry however with higher geometry is common in common with inorganic compounds there can occur trigonal bipyramidal sp3d or octahedral sp3d2 so note quantum mechanics also involves the use of molecular orbital theory to understand other interactions but that will be discussed later with the same focus quantum mechanics also enables chemists to speak on regional electron densities Um, also it's important to know that double bonds possess a sigma bond and a pi bond and triple bonds have 1 sigma 2 pi. So some questions you want to think about. What is organic chemistry and what is the historical origin of it? What is one class of organic compounds? What are three different types of isomers? Explain the valence bond theory in general simple terms. What is one molecular example where valence bond theory does not accurately explain what occurs in molecules? What are the hybridization of carbon atoms in acetonitrile? what well, the designations of sigma and pi for the bonds of the C nitro. So let's keep going. We're going to have a quick break and then we're going to continue talking about functional groups and other ideas. Okay, so let's go. Functional groups and other ideas. So You want to understand what is a functional group, understand the key format for organic nomenclature, and understand the role of intermolecular forces. Functional groups are characteristic parts of molecules that convey specific chemical properties to the molecules that possess them. Functional groups do numerous things, but mainly they enable us to compartmentalize information about molecules, compounds, and reactions. Functional groups do give us insight into chemical interactions, such as intermolecular interactions, as well as give us more information in understanding the properties of molecules. This includes the physical properties, boiling points and melting points, and solubilities. Considering the usefulness of functional groups, they also possess a characteristic molecular fingerprint that is detected in many ways, namely in spectra, so IR spectra, it really gives you a fingerprint as to the function groups within the molecule and that will be discussed later. So case in point, we have an example of phenol right there. So we have types of molecules and their properties. There are several types of molecules in the world. Covering the discipline of organic chemistry. There are specific molecules that are discussed frequently, including these. You have your alkanes. Alkanes otherwise known as paraffins are saturated hydrocarbons and aliphatic compounds. These molecules form a series of homologs with a repeating methylene unit and with the general formula CnH2n plus 2 and ending with the suffix "-ane". For example in increasing order from 1 to 5 we have methane CH4, ethane C2H6, propane C3H8, butane C4H9, pentane C5H12. The following prefixes are hex for 6 carbons, hept for 7 carbons, oct for 8 carbons, non for 9 carbons, dec for 10 carbons. These prefixes from meth to dec are applicable throughout the naming of organic compounds. alkanes, alkenes, alkynes, alkynes alcohols, alcohols, etc. And there uh, are lots of ways you can code this information even when it comes to hero cycles whether it be Ear at Ear at dash app ear at dash app So there are lots of ways you can code the information for different hero cycles. You can discuss that uh, chunking on that mnemonic later. So ear oxirane, oxetane, oxane, oxalane, OXEPTANE, all those things. We can discuss that later. So, alkenes, otherwise known as olefins, are unsaturated hydrocarbons and they are considered aliphatic compounds. They contain at least one double bond, forming a homologous series with the formula CnH2n. These, these are alkenes now. These molecules end with the suffix "-en". So, alkynes, otherwise known as acetylenes, are unsaturated compounds, having a triple bond. These molecules form a homologous series with a general formula CnH2n-2. These molecules end with the suffix "-ine". There are several other molecules that form a homologous series within their groups, including carboxylic acids and aldehydes. You also have alcohols. Alcohols whose main functional group for identification is the hydroxyl group. It is notably priority in nomenclature practice, exceptions include carboxylic acids according to the IUPAC. Alcohols contain one or more hydroxyls forming a homologous series, CNH2N plus 1 OH. Alcohols are aliphatic and typically end with the suffix all. So let's talk about intermolecular forces and other properties. With functional groups comes certain properties such as specific boiling points. And melting points, as well as critical temperatures, the temperature around which a vapor is not easily or uh, does not easily undergo a phase change to a liquid, and many other physical properties. However, beneath the surface of physical properties are the chemical features or interactions known as intermolecular forces, which influence and enable comparative predictions and physical properties, namely there are key forces to remember. You have your dipole-dipole forces. These are forces which occur between molecules, intermolecular, with a dipole moment or a significant dielectric constant. These molecules are otherwise known as polar. These intermolecular forces (IMFs) are relatively strong, a relatively stronger version of this is the H-bond or hydrogen bond intermolecular force. So you have your hydrogen bonding, it is a stronger force, sometimes referred to as a strong dipole-dipole force. This is a relatively strong, some consider it the strongest of the IMS. It occurs in water and other molecules with hydrogen bonds to nitrogen, oxygen and fluorine. Then you have your ion dipole, this occurs between ions and polar molecules, for example with solvation of sodium chloride crystals in water. Then you have London dispersion forces, London dispersion forces occur in all molecules and are based off of the columbic interactions between transient, in essence temporary, dipoles. These electrostatic forces result in transient interactions between molecules. Then you have Van der Waals forces. Now a weak force that consists of two kinds, including the Van der Waals force, which is discussed in short. Is where um, more elaboration can be found in other texts, in other episodes. It is worth noting that IMS and the strengths are based off of functional groups, chemical structure, and the types of chemical bonding in those molecules. So, intramolecular bonding. So, what's inside influences what occurs on the outside. Composition influencing function. Anyway, chemical bonding. You have polar covalent bonding. Covalent bonding occurs between atoms with significant electronegativity differences. So, this is polar covalent bonding. Specifically, this bonding occurs with heteroatoms, which refers to different non metal atoms. So, different non metal atoms. Many times, the Pauline scale is used as a reference for ranges to determine the type of bonding arrangement occurring between atoms. If bonding, though considered a theoretical construct, is viewed on a spectrum, polar covalent bonding would exist around the middle. Then we have covalent bonding. This is also non-polar covalent bonding. This is almost at the other, another end of the bonding spectrum, where there is less significant difference in electronegativity. So then you have ionic bonding. This is at the other end of the bonding spectrum. This occurs between metals and non-metals. For example, in sodium chloride, there's a large difference in electronegativity. Salvation Salvation is dependent on many factors, including the principle like dissolves like, and ideas such as hydrophilicity and hydrophobicity. Hydrophilicity and hydrophobicity. These terms refer to the molecule's stance in relation to water, whether it has a significant affinity for water, hydrophilic, water loving, or less significant affinity for water, hydrophobic, water hating. The tendency of molecules is as follows. Polar and ionic compounds tend to be hydrophilic compared to covalent and non-polar compounds, which tend to be hydrophobic. Nomenclature, according to the IUPAC, is based off of four main parts. Prefix locant parent chain suffix. The prefix, this normally denotes the number of each substituent or functional group attachments. Prefixes include di, tri, tetra. The locant, which is the number that describes the functional group attachment or the substituent's position. The parent chain, this is normally the longest continuous chain in the molecule. The suffix, this is based off the presiding or prioritized functional group chain or bonding arrangement. Single, double, or triple. Suffixes are typically classical in ending, with ane referring to the alkanes, ene referring to alkenes, "yne" referring to alkynes, amine, amines, amide, amides, oic, carboxylic acid, eight, esters, own ketones, dehyde, aldehyde. Key facts to note the alcohol's function of group hydroxyl is normally prioritized overall. Substituents are transcribed or outlined in the name based on the relative alphabetical order. So ethyl before methyl, and that pattern continues. So, key overall idea, and I'll repeat this twice prefix, locant, parent chain, suffix. Prefix, locant, parent chain, suffix. Prefix, locant, parent chain, suffix, generally. So, you can look up further ideas about. IUPAC nomenclature in other texts. So some questions to consider, what is a functional group and name several examples of functional groups. What are three types of organic molecules, what is an intermolecular force, explain dipole dipole forces. What is one molecular example where intermolecular forces explain a physical property such as boiling point. What is one difference between hydrogen bonding and london dispersion forces, explain the overall process of naming simple organic compounds so if you want so just an aside quick aside if you want more information into harrow cycles there's a phenomenal chemist his name is dr Byron. he has lots of resources out there for harrow cycles but feel free to look into that very good resource very brilliant chemist so let's keep going concept development three structures confirmations and projections so one things we want to do and and also just remember this episode is primarily dedicated to those in general chemistry as well as those who are in organic chemistry with the thrust that we want to encourage and help each other as we go along in our scientific careers. So objectives, understand and be able to draw Lewis electron dot structures, condensed structures and bond line structures. Understand and be able to draw different confirmations, primarily those of cyclohexane Understand and be able to draw and identify Fisher projections and Newman projections. So structures are diagrammatic representations of different molecules, and they provide a means of understanding what is occurring in nature. There are a variety of different structures used in chemistry. The main examples in this episode will be Lewis electron dot structures, condensed structures, and bond line structures. So Lewis dot structures, named after your boy Gilbert N. Lewis, a brilliant scientist. They are built on some key ideas such as the atoms valency and the octet rule. There are specific exceptions for period 3 with sulfur and arsenic for example and beyond. Valency Valency refers to the amount of electrons an atom will lose, many times resulting in a positively charged iron cation, gain, many times resulting in a negatively charged ion, anion, or share, typically occurring in covalent molecules in order to have a stable noble gas configuration ground state of course. Valency can be determined using the periodic table. The group number, the vertical column numbers for main group elements typically in the periodic table is designated the valency. The valency corresponds normally with charge, oxidation number, and its subsequent sign is dependent on the type of atom, its reactivity, and what it is reacting with. So key points to note Valency can be shown quickly using lewis start structures and orbital arrangements can be explained simply um, in some ways with the Bohr model. The octet rule now. The octet rule is a principle, with applications in resonance theory, simple chemical mechanisms and reactions. The octet rule is based on the idea of atoms gaining, sharing or losing electrons in order to have a complete octet, and in this context we are referring to 8 outer electrons. There are exceptions. For example, some atoms may lose electrons to possess the electron configuration of helium, two outer electrons. However, for the most atoms, in period one and period two in the periodic table of elements, those elements obey the octet rule generally. This rule is helpful in predicting reactivity and explaining simply the rationale for certain chemical reactions. So from period three onward, there are exceptions. So let's think about the rules for writing Lewis electron dot structures. So NP-STEM, note the total amount of valence electrons, place single bonds between each atom, subtract two electrons for every single bond added, eliminate or note the remainder amount of electrons, and minimize formal charge as best as possible. So for atoms and ions, consider the group number primarily an electron configuration. For molecules, start by determining the total electron count among the atoms in the molecules, draw single bonds between each atom, subtract two electrons for each single bond, add extra bonds when necessary, for example, carbon-oxygen bonds in aldehydes and ketones. Bonding arrangement is typically in the form of a double bond. Ladies and gentlemen, you must know and observe the trends. After all the necessary extra bonds have been denoted, subtract the correct amount of electrons for the extra bonds added typically with the remaining electrons denote them as lone pairs around the relevant atoms. So let's keep going! Condensed structures Condensed structures are important in the process of understanding what bond line structures represent and show. In condensed structures, all of the hydrogen bonds are attached to the carbon, for example. S2 bromobutane, you can see here. So, bond line structures are the next step after condensed structures. These show only the carbon framework with each carbon represented by a bend in the chain and the hydrogen not denoted but inferred or assumed to the point or a complete octet around the carbon atom. This means that hydrogens are not shown but implied to the point that the valency of carbon is satisfied. For example, we see there, bond line structures are useful and efficient, they save time. You can see the example of a bond line structure right there for benzene. Now Conformations Conformations are molecules that differ only by rotations around single bonds, you may have heard of conformers, rhodomers, otherwise characterized as sigma bonds. These alternate rotations affect the potential energies of the molecules either increasing as seen in the eclipsed conformation or decreasing it as seen in the anti conformation. Conformations potential energies are attributed to ring strain which is based off of the angle strain and the torsional strain. Angle strain is caused by the alternate bond angles that have deviated from the idealized bond angle suggested in VSEPR. Torsional strain is caused by repulsion due to the dispersion forces, an intermolecular force, and this can cause steric hindrances. So as you progress further in your career in science, you'll hear the two whistling whistling concepts. Two echoing concepts in the halls of organic chemistry. You have sterics and electronics. So conformations can be experimentally described using a graph of dihedral dihedral angle versus potential energy. As you study this some more, you encounter things like carplus correlation, um, all of that all good stuff. A lot of good stuff. So typically, cyclorexine is probably showing the potential energy of the different conformations in there or in increasing potential energies. The chair, the twist boat, the boat, the half chair, and the chair. Chair. Chair, twist boat, chair, half chair, twist boat, half chair, chair. It's important when you start learning about this to be able to draw your chairs correctly. Chair, half chair, twist boat, both twist boat, half chair, chair. So CHT BTHC. CHT, BTHC, chair, half chair, twist boat, boat, twist boat, half chair, chair. Projections. In chemistry, there are many types of projections. However, two that are frequently encountered are the Newman projection and the Fisher projection. So, Newman projections are structures from a specific perspective. We look down a specific single bond between atoms and draw the other attachments in respect to those two atoms. For example, butane is drawn. So, picture yourself looking down the axis of a single bond C2 to C3 of butane or C2 to C3 in some other molecule Now let's draw the Newman projection Here we see an example of Newman projection Then you have your Fischer projections These are typically seen with your carbohydrates and your hexoses and all those other good stuff they involve another representation from a different perspective. The molecule is drawn from top to bottom, normally with the carbon at a designated end. Generally, the functional group attachments are on the sides, which are seen as wedges, that are out of the plane of the paper. and the top and bottom of the projection is seen as groups on the dashed. Another bond designation uses a squiggly line, which represents a single bond out and behind the plane of the paper. So, the projection is typically used with carbohydrates, especially simple carbohydrates. So, you can see an example of R1 bromo 1 chloroethane, and then you can see another example of thalidomide. Classic molecules is also discussed when we dis- when we introduced the key ideas associated with stereochemistry and how important it is even when it comes to medicines and the use and effects in the human body. So let's talk about some questions. What is the Lewis electron dot structure of oxygen? What are the key ideas for drawing Lewis electron dot structures? Explain the concept of valency. Explain the octet rule. What is one exception to the octet rule? Draw the bond line structure of antithesis. Explain the overall order of stability for cyclohexane conformations. Remember, we go chair, half chair, twist boat, chair, half chair, twist boat, boat, twist boat, half chair, chair, half-chair, twist-boat, boat, twist-boat, chair, half chair, twist boat, boat, twist boat, half chair, chair. CHTB T H C, CHTB T H C. For those who need to know that. Okay, so let's talk about chirality and isomerism. You want to know key definitions definitions of words such as isomer, chiral, and conformers. Understand the concept of stereoisomerism, chirality. Understand the Lebel and Van Lebel van Hoff rule. So let's keep going. Isomers, as defined earlier, are molecules with the same molecular formula but different in structural arrangement space, connectivity, or geometry around the bonding arrangement. All those differences aforementioned define a subclass of isomers, be it structural, or so structural isomers, arrangement in space, stereoisomers, or connectivity, constitutional isomers. Each subclass has its own significance. Stereoisomers or spatial isomers are molecules with the same molecular formula but different three-dimensional spatial arrangements. A stereoisomer has a stereogenic center which is a location in the molecule where the interchange of two groups in space results in a new stereoisomer. A subgroup of stereogenic centers is a chiral center, which typically refers to a stereogenic center with a sp3 hybridization or tetrahedral geometry. Every chiral center is a stereogenic center, but not every stereogenic center is a chiral center. Stereoisomers can be further divided into other categories such as enantiomers, non-superposable mirror images, diastereomers, non-identical mirror images, atropisomers, isomers as a result of restrictions and bond notations. Um, so enantiomers, enantiomers are optical isomers. These optical isomers are molecules that are non-superposable. Enantiomers typically have chiral centers or a chiral center. Enantiomers are very significant in the pharmaceutical industry with specific enantimers and drugs having specific effects. This is seen with the classic example of thalidomide, ibuprofen, and Darvon, where stereospecificity contributes a large role in determining therapeutic potential and therapeutic effects. Enantiomers are typically designated by the signets of absolute configuration, which are R, rectus, and S, sinister. Mixtures of both enantiomers are called racemic, usually these are mixtures of equal proportions the process of forming both in as products is known as racemization. and if you do some more research you'll hear about the edma ripening you can do the research and find out about it so the molecules are also designated by the relative configuration which are dextro d and level that refers to their optical rotation how they rotate light so Let's talk about assigning configurations. Dextrotory or rotatory must be assigned experimentally, typically by the proper application of an optical device such as a polarimeter. To observe and measure how the molecule rotates light and to what extent or degree it rotates Absolute configurations can be assigned using a priority numerical labeling system such as the Kahn-Ingo prelog priority rules. These rules give priority based on atomic mass, larger atoms have the highest priority and the smallest or least weighing atoms have the least priority, typically hydrogen in most molecules. So if you have hydrogen, typically it's going to be on the dash, okay, in the back of the plane of paper. And then the largest priority the thing that has the highest priority is going to be coming out at you. Okay, so there you have s one bromo one propane. So let's talk about diastereomers. This is a subclass of optical isomers. Optical isomers. A subclass of optical isomers. Known as geometric isomers. Diastereomers are isomers with the same molecular formula but different arrangements in space. results in non-identical mirror images these can typically be identified by first assignment of the absolute configuration of the stereogenic centers then comparison of the mirror images to determine whether they are identical or not so that's a suggested way you can do it subclass of diastereomers are cis trans isomers and conformers which can further be divided into rotomers so you have your easy isomerism and your cis trans isomerism as dexterodatory and rotatory is relative assignment for stereochemistry, so is cis and trans. Cis and trans isomerism allows for the denoting of the spatial arrangements based on like groups, for example, trans 1,2-dichloroethene or cis 1,2-dichloroethene. This relative system, cis or trans, can become obscure very quickly. So to provide a more meticulous system, the Kahn-Ingold-Prelog, Priority rules are used to label the substituents on the double bond using antagon (e) or opposite and *zusammen* (or same side). So, antagon, (e) opposite, zusamen, (same side). This system, often mentioned, provides more clarity with stereochemistry. As stated earlier, the cahn pre prelog priority rules give the highest priority to the largest substituent or the substituent with the greatest atomic mass. And the following substituents are labeled with the numbers two 3, four based on atomic masses. So you number your substituents. basically you assign your priorities, you number your substituents. It's good to do this with your modeling kits, your modeling sets and if you can't afford it, you can use gumdrops and toothpicks. And just make sure you use different colors for different types of atoms but assign your priority Arrange it, visualize it in 3d space you may have to build a model and from there you see one two, three, four, Rectus one, two, three, four, sinister. If it goes clockwise. If it if the substituents if the substituents are ordered such that they go in a clockwise way, rectus if they go or they're arranged such that they follow a anticlockwise path or trajectory, we call it sinister. So conformers and rotamers. A conformer is an arrangement or conformation of a molecule based on a rotation or based on rotation of single bonds that resulted in a potential energy minimum. A classic example of a conformer is with cyclohexane, which you have different conformers represented in the graph below. A rotamer is just a conformation of a molecule that results from another rotation of a molecule's single bonds. And you have the anomers, otomers, and isomer formed <laughs> due to the geometric radiation on the certain atoms in specific molecules. Anomers are typically seen and described in carbohydrates where the designation of alpha or beta is used. Alpha D glucopyranose, beta D glucopyranose. And you have the epimers. An epimer, normally found in diastereomeric pairs, is a stereoisomer that differs in configuration at any point in the molecule where changing the position of the two substituents results in the formation of a new stereoisomer. Basically, an epimer is an isomer that differs in configuration at any stereogenic center. So van't Vanthoff rule, if there are n stereogenic centers with 4 different substituents attached, there are 2 to the n different stereoisomers possible. So if you have n stereogenic centers, there are 2 to the n different stereoisomers possible. Ok, so some questions to think about, what is an isomer, what are the different types of isomers, explain the concept of enantiomers, what is a racemate and even further research you can look into what is vietnam ripening Then you can talk about uh or just look into what is this diastereo isomer what are two club classes of diastereo isomers and then we can talk about explaining the Kahn- engel prela party rules for designating absolute configuration so let's keep going nucleophilicity and electrophilicity In it, for the long run, learn the definition of nucleophilicity and electrophilicity, understand the trends with nucleophilicity and basicity, or electrophilicity and acidity. So we want to understand those things. Those are our objectives for this reading. Nucleophilicity is a kinetic concept that describes the affinity of an atom or molecule for the nucleus of another atom, which is positively charged with the intended meaning of nucleus-loving. So Nucleophilicity, Nucleus Loving. This term is very important for understanding reactions and their mechanisms. Nucleophilicity refers to how willing, to what degree, or at what rate, is an atom or molecule donating its electron density to another atom or molecule. The degree of Nucleophilicity is defined by the rate of the reaction, specifically the rate of electron density donation. Generally Nucleophilicity when comparing a similar atom in multiple molecules Uh, follows Lewis basicity for some contexts. Um, Also, when a nucleophilic atom is different, there may be no relationship between nucleophilicity and basicity, so that's something to note. If the nucleophilic atom is different, there may be no relationship that you observe. Um, Since dipole moments for each atom or molecule may be different, thus affecting polarizability, which is a large determining factor, in nuclear felicity so polarizability of the electron cloud is a large determining factor in nuclear felicity so it's very important to understand it it's grounded in columbic is grounded in columbic forces it can result in the formation or breaking of bonds as seen in the infamous nucleophilic attack and nucleophilic substitution let's talk about electrophilicity Electrophilicity is a kinetic concept. It involves a reaction in which there is an acceptance of an electron pair. An electrophile is defined as an electron pair acceptor, or an atom or molecular part that is electron loving. Electrophile. This term provides insight into mechanisms of reactions such as electrophilic aromatic substitution, electrophilic substitution, and electrophilic addition. Electrophilicity. Is it basically involves the measured degree or extent, directly speaking, of how much an atom or molecule is willing to accept electron density from another atom or molecule? So, some questions to consider what are some key ideas associated with the concept of nuclear felicity? What are some key trends with nuclear felicity? Explain the connection between Lewis basicity and nucleophilicity. What is the connection between Lewis acidity and electrophilicity? Explain the significance of PKB, some aspects of the concept of nucleophilicity. So, let's talk about spectroscopy and some instrumentations. Spectroscopy involves the study of the interactions of electromagnetic radiation and matter. Spectroscopy has a key role in organic chemistry. It contributes to informing many processes, including retrospective analysis, structural elucidation, and total synthesis. Electroscopy and spectrometry are different. Spectroscopy refers to the study of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation and matter, while spectrometry refers to the measurements of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation and matter. So measurements versus just the study. You have UV spec. Here's an example of a diagram. You have a light source. Into your scanning monochromatic matter, UV motor that's spinning, it goes to the sample cuvette, and you go to your detector, your amplifier, it, and then it's displayed. For your sample cuvette, you also have a reference cuvette as well. So, uv spectroscopy is an analytical technique that involves the use of ultraviolet or visible light in order to analyze a sample in a cuvette. This technique can be used to quantify, detect, Test, support, or support structure elucidation and it aids in determining molecular geometry and to study the kinetics of reactions. So, when you think of UV-VIS spec, also think about Woodward-Hoffmann rules. One of the main ideas behind the use of UV-VIS spectrophotometers is the principle of absorbance. Um, you can look into Bayer's law and also you can look into. So, Bayer's law absorption is equal to epsilon molar. Absorbility, absorptivity constant, um, B, pathway, C concentration. Then you have atomic absorption spectroscopy AAS, go from your light source to your sample to your detector to your computer. It has many uses involving clinical, geological, biological, metallurgical, atmospheric, and also in the pharmaceutical industry. Then you have your IR spec. Go from your Nernst Glow, this is just a version of it, to the Michelson interferometer, to your sample, to your detector, to your computer. So, IR can be used to detect the functional group moieties that exist in the sample, the relative location or proximity of the information, relative location or proximity of functional groups, that information can be obtained. Um, it's based on the assumption that arms behave as simple harmonic oscillators at each vibration. Uh, is occurring in a uh, molecule. You have your NMR spec in which you go from your RF radiation generator to your NMR tube to your RF receiver to your computer. NMR spec provides information on the chemical environment the nuclei of atoms are situated in. This type of spec is normally used in structure elucidation and in some cases structure determination. This analytical, this analytical technique Involves several concepts, some such as um, shim, all those other good stuff. So, gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, you have your GCMS, you go from the sample holder to your capillary column, the electron ionization, the ion trap to the computer. It's an analytical technique that involves both analytical techniques of gas chromatography and mass spectrometry. This is a method in which components of a mixture are separated using chromatography and analyzed and characterized using mass spectrometry. Gas chromatography is a separation technique in which chemical substances are volatilized and separated by their relative boiling points, which is dependent on the chemical properties of the molecules. Mass spectrometry is an analytical technique that involves the ionization of chemical species into different ions of different atomic masses, and the sorting of ions into a unique spectrum based on their mass-to-charge ratio. So, some key features are: what are some key features of? The questions are: what are some key features of a UV-Vis spectrometer? What are some key features with the infrared spectrometer? What is the Jacqueline advantage or throughput advantage? explain the felgates advantage, multiplex advantage, explain the differences between polar and non-polar compounds in the GC-MS instrument. So we can talk about inorganic and organic metallics, this is the first part. Diatomic halogens have chemical significance as seen in several areas of organic chemistry, whether in the presence of light, organic solvent or peroxides. They can result in the formation of halogenated variable groups which can vary from alkyl halides to acyl chlorides. Diatomic halogens, when substituted in the organic molecule, can result in new properties, both chemical and physical, stereochemistry, intermolecular forces, as well as conformations. Also, the chemical reaction environment also affects reduced activity in the reaction. Also, diatomic halogens can be used to test the presence of olefins, namely bromine, methane, alkene, and the result is a colorless solution. Diatomic collagens have versatile use in organic chemistry. So, several inorganic reagents are used as reducing agents or oxidizing agents to convert carbonyl compounds, carbonyl containing compounds, in primary and secondary substituted hydrocarbons to primary and secondary alcohols. And in another direction, it can convert alcohols to carboxylic acid. You have your sodium borohydride used to do a stepwise reduction from aldehydes to ketones. To alcohol. So you have LAALH or ethylmalone hydride, very dangerous, flammable, and powerful reducing agent that reduces carboxylic acids and other carbonyl containing compounds to alcohol. So you have PCC, pyridium chlorochromate, which is used to oxidize. It functions to oxidize primary alcohols to aldehydes and secondary alcohols to ketones. Pyridium chlorochromate is made by reacting chromium trioxide with hydrochloric acid to form chlorochromic acid, which is reacted with pyridine to form PCC. The New Jones reagent it is an organic, inorganic reagent, that is used to oxidize. It functions typically as chromic acid and involves oxidizing primary alcohols to carboxylic acids and secondary alcohols to ketones. The Jones reagent is a good oxidizing reagent. Then you have KMnO4, potassium permanganate. There's another inorganic reagent that results in oxidation of primary alcohols, to carboxylic acids, and secondary alcohols to ketones. Always remember or consider the temperature at which that oxidation is occurring. Very important. Then you have PCl5, a molecule with many uses, namely the interconversion of carboxylic acids and acid anhydrides to acyl chlorides. Then you have sodium cyanoborohydride is used used in reductive amination resulting in the formation of amines from the reduction of the cyanide portion of the reagent. There are some some rearrangements that occur when this is taking place. This is another example of nucleophilic attack occurring, meanwhile sodium borohydride is serving serving as the infamous reducing agent. So, some organometallics you have your Grignard's. Grignard reagents are some of the first encountered organometallics for an undergraduate organic okay, chemistry student. These molecules are composed of, organic, of an organic variable group, a magnesium atom, and a halide. These are normally used to attach organic variable groups to a carbonyl, meanwhile reducing the oxygen to a hydroxyl, thus making an alcohol. Grignard reagents are very useful, however, because these are reactive even with water. All material used in the reaction to avoid while contamination must be lab oven dried. Then you also have Gilman reagents. Gilman reagents are gyanocuprates attacking as a nucleophile to rings with an unsaturated region, alkinol, or to an alkyl halide to form an alkyl substituted molecule. Then you have your regular nucleophiles such as metallic alkoxylates such as sodium ethoxide, magnesium ethoxide, which are used as nucleophiles to attack a variable group, whether in an SN2 or E2-mana, as well as in displacement reactions. So, here are some questions. What are some examples of substitutions using diatomic collagens? What is an example of an oxidized alcohol? Explain the use of sodium borohydrate in reduction reactions. Where does the organoborine occur in the reaction schema and why is this chemically significant? Can nucleophilic attack serve as a means of oxidation or reduction? So let's talk about some radiochemistry principles. Understand the fundamentals of radiochemistry. Understand Markovnikov's rule and anti-Markovnikov's rule. So Markovnikov's rule, he who has more gets more. Antimakovnikov, Markovnikov, he who has more gets less. Understand Zeitzel's rule and Hoffman's rule. So let's keep going this will be the last section that we go through today more to come later on so regiochemical principles come from regiochemistry comes from the latin word "regionum," meaning direction regiochemistry provides and describes the principles involved in the directionality of, or position and placement of reactants to form the product regiochemistry is very important as you progress you'll hear about things being regiodivergent or regioselective. Reagents used can cause a specific regiochemical result or result in the opposite of what would normally occur. So you have Markovnikov's rule, put simply, he who has more gets more. Markovnikov's rule is in the addition of a halide to an unsymmetrical alkene, the hydrogen goes to the carbon with the greatest number of hydrogens and the halide goes to the other carbon. In another way, this rule states that the halide adds so as to form the more stable carbocation intermediate. Then you have the anti-Markovnikov, which is the reverse, he who has more gets less, in which the carbon with the greatest number of hydrogens does not receive the hydrogen but the most electrophilic portion of the molecule. For example, in hydroboration oxidation, in the presence of peroxides, the borohydride adds to the less substituted carbon of the hydrogen and the hydrogen adds to the more substituted carbon, Keep in mind, oxidation which is done in the presence of peroxides, or in this case we're referring to it being done in the presence of peroxide. However, the stability comes about because the electron density shifts, this is one way to describe the mechanism, the electron density shifts to the electrophilic borohydride resulting in it possessing a partially negative charge and the more substituted carbon possessing a partially positive charge. This is indeed stable due to the electron density during the incapacity of the alkyl group. In the discussions, we can talk about hyperconjugation. As character and the orbital overlap of the alkyl carbon, the alkyl group with alkyl or electron substituent provides stability. So, Zeitz's rule. Zeitz's rule is the directionality principle in which the more substituted alkene is favored with the use of a small base such as ethoxide. Zaitsev's rule is significant and aids in predicting products in elimination reactions. So Zaitsev's small base used to the more substituted alkene. So Zaitsev's small and more substituted. So Hoffman's rule. Hoffmann's rule is another directionality principle. So T. Hoffman, in which the less substituted alkene is favored through the use of a huge or large base, such as tert-butoxide. Hoffman's rule is also very significant and aids in predicting elimination reactions. So the hammond leffler postulate. In simpler terms, it's basically the view of the potential energy hill continues in some ways as you follow through the potential energy journey, or the product resembles the molecular arrangement of the transition state, or the step of the RCD, the reaction coordinate diagram that's closest to the transition state in energy, typically the transition state will, remember, will resemble that. So what does the word radiochemistry mean? What's well, an example of a reaction that follows Markovnikov's rule. Explain anti markovnikovs rule. What is Zeitz's rule significant? Why is it significant in elimination reactions? Explain the significance of the Harmon Nephepositin. Why are radiochemistry rules helpful in studying mechanisms? So types of reactions, let's just go through these. You have your addition, substitution, elimination, reduction, and oxidation, and rearrangement. Addition, put simply, is like a traditionally synergistic relationship. The two parts become one. Two different molecules are added together. Addition can be driven by nucleophiles, nucleophilic addition, or electrophiles. This type of reaction normally occurs in regions of high electron density and bond order, which is seen in compounds with multiple bonds. You have your substitution. Substitution is by definition a type of chemical group replacement. This can be driven by nucleophiles or electrophiles, as well as it can involve alkyl halides or r compounds, SN1s, SN2s, typically some of the first reactions encountered by an undergrad in o Then you have eliminations. Eliminations involve the loss of a group of atoms from a molecule. This can result in the formation of an alkene. Or alkyne product. Elimination tends to result in a net increase of electron density for a particular molecule, which, if considered, makes sense since the overall process of loss and gain of electron density density is usually presented mechanistically. Um, okay, Then you also have reduction in oxidation, classically paired process in which one atom or molecule gains electron density while another loses electron density, which is a reduction in oxidation, respectively. so oil rig oxidation loss of electrons addition of oxygen removal of hydrogen increase in oxidation state or number then glad gleaning of electrons reduction is glad oxidation is larry reduction glad gain of electrons loss of oxygen addition of hydrogen decrease in oxidation state or number so you have reduction occurs in organic reactions such as hydrogenation using rainy nickel or lithium hydride then you also have your rearrangements, which typically occur through your 1,2 methyl shifts or 1,3 methyl shifts or 1,2 hydride shifts or 1,3 hydride shifts. The thermodynamic basis and rationale for these rearrangements occurring is that they lead to a more stable carbocation as a transition state or reaction intermediate. Many times the rearrangement results in positive charge being situated on higher substitute carbons as presented as secondary or tertiary carbons. There are other categories for mechanistic calcification, fall under basic conditions. Example is a nucleophilic substitution under basic conditions. Fall under acid conditions. Example is acid catalyzed hydration. about the background noise you have paracyclic an example is the 4 plus 2 cycloaddition. addition deals all the reaction the 4 plus 2 reaction refers to the number of electrons specifically pi electrons and you can look into Huckel's rule each atom so cyclic planar each atom sp2 and it must follow Huckel's rule 4 n plus 2 pi electrons so if you have free radical reactions, example is the free radical polymerization, metal-mediated reactions. An example is the sodium-metal-mediated perch reduction. So some questions as we conclude. What are the key features of a substitution? What are the key features of elimination reactions? Explain the significance of rearrangements in terms of stability. And why is it important to know these types of reactions? listed in this concept development. So later on, we'll discuss different types of substitutions and different types of eliminations. But I want to remind everyone, you're not alone. We are all in this as a scientific community. Reach out to people if you need help. Get the help that you need. Strategize, plan, use the resources at your disposal. You can do it. People are rooting for you. Uh, keep up the good work. Glad to see that you're doing well. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, and this ends this episode of Lecture Chaos. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry,